Welcome to the Heart Chamber. I am your host, Boots Knighton. Today's episode is incredible. I interview a heart warrior named Paul Fossey. Paul is 62 years old, and at age 53, he was diagnosed with severe hypotrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy. In February 2015, he had his first open heart surgery, which included many procedures, which we get into. Then in 2019, he had another heart surgery, which included the Lima bypass due to myocardial bridge. Since then, he's also been diagnosed with endothelial dysfunction, as well as microvascular disease. Then in 2022, doctors found that his ramus artery was 90% occluded, so he had a stent implanted. Paul is an incredible heart warrior who has so much wisdom to share. This conversation was so heartfelt from beginning to end, and I hope that you find it helpful. If you do, I'd appreciate it if you would subscribe and leave a review. You can go to the Heart Chamber podcast to drop me a note or leave me a voicemail. And you can also make a donation, which keeps this podcast going. Thank you so much for spending your time with Paul and I today. Let's get to it. Paul Fossey. Correct. Thank you for coming on the Heart Chamber today. Paul, tell us where you are from? Well, I'm from Michigan. I'm a Michigander and I've been with Mich- I've been in Michigan all my life. I've never uh, really had any ideas of wanting to go anywhere else despite, you know, the snow. I'm not a big snow person. I'm not a snowmobiler, none of that. Skier or nothing like <laughs> that, but we're 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 kind of in a sweet spot of Michigan in the lower peninsula there where we don't get a whole lot. I mean, crazy snow. As a matter of fact, today it's like around 50. So with that said, uh, it's dry and, and I can't say green grass, but brown grass is out there. But uh, <laughs> I, I've worked full time for uh, almost 37 full years for all Teamster Union. They were in the trucking and food industry. And I had no problem at all through my years uh, as far as, uh, you know, going about my daily work and brought up two children with my wife. We've been married 31 years. Name is Pamela. My my oldest child is Vanessa. She is a teacher and is 28 years old. I have a son, Jonathan. He's 26 and he's a computer engineer. And so now we're kind of empty nesters here, just my wife and I. But with all that said, getting back, my story is uh, kind of crazy because a, a large part of my life, I was, um, I, you know, I went through school and I went through, you know, work and played softball and you know, had hobbies and, and really felt well. I mean, I, I mean, at least I thought I felt well. Sure. I had the little aches and pains and whatnot. And until probably in my mid thirties, I started feeling kind of subtle symptoms, PBCs, if you will, you know, the premature ventricular contractions kind of felt like a fish was flopping around, you know, and I was pretty aggressive in my health. So I always sought out help. And, you know, they would just do the typical EKGs and echoes and and pretty much put me on my way. But when I would exercise uh, to a level like, uh, for instance, if I had to hand shovel a big snowstorm or do a big, big uh, yard in the summertime and and after a couple, three hours, I would feel pain, if you will, not not 
it's not so much angina because angina, I guess, is kind of subjective too. some people say, well, I feel it in the middle of my chest. So I feel my mine was more in my shoulder, my left shoulder. I would bring that up and they basically dismissed me. They always said that at the very most, it looks like I have a mitral valve prolapse and nothing more, nothing. And, and I continued on with my life. 2005, unfortunately, I had a, a, a rather bad car accident. A young teenager, she turned into me. Well, she actually turned left thinking that there was time and I had the right of way. It was a green light. And it was before they had the green arrows and all that stuff. And long story short, with that, you know, after the car accident, both uh, airbags deployed. It knocked my wife out cold and it hit me in the chest. The, um, you know, I was going about 50 miles an hour. So this is in 2005. And after that, I immediately knew something was wrong in that I had so many PVCs, thousands. Went to the, you know, went through ambulance. My son, my son, he was a little hurt in the back seat. He had something with his shoulder or back, but it turned out to be okay. My, my kids were in the back seat. My daughter was okay. My son, they just checked him out and they released him. They kept my wife for a day and they kept me for like three. And I went in a telemetry floor and I had like 43 or 4,400 PVCs in a period of like 13 or 14 hours. So while wow. they- That's a lot. It is. And, and, and I, I, you know, I would typically have a PVC here and there, but not thousands. And so after mm-hmm. all the- CAT scans and everything else, they just determined that I had a bruised sternum in my, in my heart, my heart muscle, the myocardium was actually bruised in itself. Was kind of told that things will be fine, you know, things will, things will work itself out. And they never quite did. I had more PVCs in my life from that point forward, not thousands, but certainly enough to be aggravated, you know. So they put me on a beta blocker. That was the first time they put me on beta blocker therapy. Topral, metropolol is the generic form. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I continued on with my life and all went, and all was well from 2005 as far as, you know, I continued on with my life, worked 50, 60 hour weeks. I was big into sports. And so I would, uh, instead of play them at my age, uh, what I did is I umpired baseball and I used to do about 100 to 125 actual baseball games in the Little League on top of my 50 to 60 hour work week and take care of my family as well. So nothing really stopped me, but at the same time, I never, never felt all that well. I mean, I, I felt okay, but it didn't stop me, but I, I, I felt, well, maybe I'm getting older, this, that, the other until 2013. And my, I can recall my, my two kids were actually in track. They're a couple of years apart. They were in track. And they, and so my wife and I, we met them over there and, and whatnot. After the track was done, I had dr- driven myself and it was packed in a parking lot. So I had to park, God, probably over a football field, maybe 125, 150 yards away. Started to sprinkle. So I said, well, I'm going to get on my horse here and, and, and do some jogging. I'm physically fit. You know, I'm five foot nine, 150 pounds mm-hmm. and let's go. So I ran, you know, or, or I can't call it a jog, but I, I ran to my car. And when I got to my car, I could feel tachycardia like on steroids. And my heart was beating out of my chest, which was very abnormal. 
So I took my own pulse. My wife's a nurse, by the way, 32, 33 years nurse. Okay. So I, I knew, took my own pulse. And, and while it was regular, it was also 180 beats per minute. And I immediately called my wife. I said, hey, you know, something's wrong. It's now been five minutes and I'm in some kind of a regular rhythm, some, something. And I don't know what exactly mm-hmm. is uh, going on. So she says, are you driving? I said, well, unfortunately I am. I'm going home, but I, do you feel lightheaded? This, that, and I said, no, I'm, I, 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 I just know something's really off. So she says, okay, hurry up and get home. Got home. And then she took me to the hospital. I was in atrial fibrillation and the atrial fibrillation, they couldn't figure out why I was in atrial fibrillation. Now this is a local hospital and you think the first thing they would do is at least an echo. They didn't do an echo. They didn't do nothing. I was admitted just overnight for that. And they were going to shock my heart because, you know, it had been 17, almost 18 hours of 170, 180. And they said, you can't go any longer. So they were getting the room ready for the shock, the, uh, you know, defibrillator. About 10, 15 minutes prior, uh, because they were giving me an IV cardizyme, I had I felt the conversion on my own. So I converted back to sinus rhythm and I felt great. I told, as soon as the nurse came in, I said, I already know what you're going to tell me because my heart feels like it's like the old 1960, 70 engines where you where your RPMs was way up and you kicked it down and I could feel my heart settle down. So they said, well, you're going to be okay and just stay in your toporal. I then declined from 2013 until my first open heart surgery, which took place February the 18th, 2015. So you're talking spring of 13 to almost spring of 15, two years. I very much declined very, and my symptoms were getting worse, uh, out of breath, chest pain, syncope. So I was, I felt like I wanted to pass out. As a matter of fact, twice I did and, mm-hmm. and many, many, many times close to it. So all they did is up my to- uh, topril uh, that I was taking. They, they put me to from 100 to 200 milligrams of topril. All the while now they said, well, let's just take a look at your heart through an echo. Then they did a stress echo. They said, well, they see a little bit of hypertrophy, which is thickening on the left side, but nothing to be crazy about. So paranoid Paul said, you know, and hey, what if this medication doesn't work? Because they're going to up me up from 100 to 200. And he says, well, there's always surgery, but he never noted, never told me. And I guess I wasn't as curious as I thought because I never asked him, well, what, what do you mean left ventricular hypertrophy? What does that all equate to? But mm-hmm. it got to a point where I could no longer go on and life, my quality was down, down the drain. I mean, and, and it got so severe. I had 160 gradient when they did the echo on my mitral valve. So my mitral valve was actually getting sucked into my septum, my heart muscle. And that's what Hocum does, hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy I was diagnosed with. And the Hocum was so severe that it, uh, they had to reconstruct my entire mitral valve, the A1, A2, A3 leaflets. They had to shorten them and they had to work on my aortic valve my aortic valve was, was out of whack. And then they had to, what happens is on the exterior part of your heart, it looks normal. It doesn't look, it doesn't look enlarged, but interior with, with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, in my case, the obstruction 
hence the O, letter O, mm-hmm. um, it thickens so much inside, like muscular, that the blood can get out through the aortic valve to perfuse into your organs. So hence the syncope and passing out. And then the next step is cardiac arrest. Mm-hmm. And often, I can't say often, but I can say in some cases for sure that your first case, for your first symptom is sudden cardiac arrest. And so you're dead or so it was it was a lot to was a lot to swallow. They told me they I have no options. I have to go through the full sternotomy and, and, and they can't do it here. Well, they were they they thought about doing it here at this local hospital, but they had only done like two or three of them. So I did a little research. Oh, that's not enough. No, not not by any stretch of the imagination. Okay. I did a little research on my own and obviously Cleveland Clinic, number one in all heart things throughout the United States and has been for almost three decades. So I told my cardiologist, uh, I, 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 I'm going to go to Cleveland Clinic. And he, he seemed a little taken back, like, you know, you're too serious. You're going to, you're AMA, you're going against medical authority. So I had to sign a, like, a, like a form basically to, to keep, them, keep him off the hook just in case something was to happen. He said, you know, you're critical. You know, you need surgery today. You don't even need it. Not tomorrow. You need it right now. And I mean, it just all went so fast. Every day I just kept going downhill, downhill, downhill. So they did this big operation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They did, they fixed, like I said, my mitral valve, my aortic valve. They did a thing called the maze procedure boots where they put intentional incisions into the heart myocardium muscle in an effort to stave off or stop altogether any irregular rhythms that would surface, such as not just atrial fibrillation, but ventricular tachycardia, God forbid, ventricular flutter, this, that, and the other, anything sinister. So they did that. They took my cardiac appendage out. They put a titanium clip in. They, um, they did a whole array of things to my heart, huge operation, deemed it a success. Again, I was good as far as healthy wise everywhere else, except my heart. So good going in, I did the spirometer and sent him spirometer with the lungs. And I, I did all that. And my wife made sure that I took care of that, keep my lungs strong, no pneumonia, didn't have any really complications. Mm-hmm. And about two years after that, I never really felt great. Well, hold on one second. Mm-hmm. Hold on one second. I, I, I want to go back a little bit. This is incredible. So how long, because I think, I think this is really important. I've been in all the other conversations I've had on this podcast so far, the resounding like theme that's tying it all together between all the different heart warriors I'm talking to and the caregivers that have helped me heal that I also interview, the term advocacy keeps coming up over and over again. And I have not spoken with a single person, well, maybe one, where it was kind of a seamless chain of events that got to that person to the other side of surgery. So you're telling me that your local cardiologist made you sign, like they were like, we want you on the, in the OR like right mm-hmm. now. And you're like, uh-uh, I need to go to Cleveland Clinic. Like that's a really important window because I, I want to hear about how did you initiate Cleveland Clinic relationship sure. And the time frame it took to get from doctor who made you sign the AMA 
to you getting on the OR table in, at the Cleveland Clinic? Really, it was a matter of hours on that same day, February the 9th of 2015, I had the appointment. And when I signed that to release him of any possible you know, wrongdoing or, hey, he released me, so he's going to be sued against medical authority, I just picked up the phone and I called Cleveland Clinic. And I told them what I'm basically telling you, that I have 160 gradient on my mitral valve. Zero to zero to ten is normal, just for the sake of listening. Okay, yeah, I was like, what for is the normal? List, for the listeners out there? Zero to ten is normal, mm-hmm. and I was one sixty, mm-hmm. so I was um, critical, not not just you know severe. I mean, I was it was life or death, and that's how Cleveland Clinic told me. But when I called them up, they said, "Well, we have to have obviously some verification." I said, "Not a problem. I'll have them fax it over from." you know, my hospital, I won't mention where, but here in Michigan, I'll, I'll have them fax it over and let me call them up and, and we'll do that right now. Well, they had my phone number, of course, and I called Beaumont and they said, we'll do that. We're doing it as we speak. Less than 15 minutes passed. And they said, you need to come in through the ER now. How far away are you? And I said, well, I'm like 250 miles away. I'm in Michigan. And of course you guys all, y'all are in Cleveland. And they, they, they said the same thing. They agreed that, you know, you need a myectomy, you need, which is the surgical, everything what I talked about, thinning out of my heart. They had it going through the aortic valve. But backing up, they said, come in now, or <laughs> they, they shouldn't have given me a choice. You can come in on Friday the 13th and come in right through the ER and we'll admit you at that point. We'll do all your MRIs. We'll do, but there's no getting away from surgery. You're, you're, we're just have to do it for our own sake. So I said, you know what? I've made it this far. I was 50, what, 54 at the time. So I said, I made it this far. You know, what's another four? This is now Monday. So what's another four days, right? Well, mm-hmm. yeah, I had a, I had a couple of uh, syncope, real syncope where I fell in the shower and I, I hit my head. And when I came to, you know, I, I realized what went on, had a bump on the back of my head, screamed out. My wife was there and she said, you know, we ought to really go now. And, you know, again, I said, well, I'm, I'm scheduled for Friday, you know, at eight o'clock. So we went down there the night before. And again, I had a, I had another passing out while my wife was driving to Cleveland. So this is in the reason for passing out it, for the listeners is very, very simple. The blood is not getting out of the aortic valve to perfuse to your organs, in this case, your brain, liver, everything else. Mm -hmm. And this is what can cause sudden cardiac death. So while it wasn't the probably the brightest thing for me to do and wait to Friday, it all did turn out. I, I went in on Friday the morning and they immediately took me in and did the MRI. They did a CAT scan and they said, you're very, very critical. And I says, what's my options? And they said, you have none. If you do not get it, our estimation and we're not God, I'll never forget them saying this. We're not God, but we would think in a, in a week to maybe two weeks left of life. And what's, if I get the surgery, can I look for, for prognosis? And they says, well, we do, a, we're a high volume center, which, so you pick the right hospital. We do them often. 
and more than likely you can get your life back. Well, of course, I, I couldn't wait for the open heart, but that's just, that's just mm-hmm. it. This is Friday the 13th. The cardiothoracic surgeon was away on vacation that does this. He specializes in it. And I'm going to mention his name, Dr. Nicholas Madero. Fantastic, fantastic cardiothoracic surgeon. Unbelievable. He has got like, I want to say near nine or 10,000 surgeries in in in, in roughly half of them or possibly more are because of Holcomb. So he's been there, done that. He can do it blindfolded with his hands behind his back. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just, the, he's the man. Mm-hmm. So if there's faith and there's God okay. or, you know, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to touch base on that, but I certainly was in the right place at the right time. And I found the right person. Had I've gone here to a low volume center, things would have been much, much worse because it's so intricate. Remember, they're thinning out your inside of your heart mm-hmm. besides doing the valves. So that's, it's, right. it's, it's quite, right. it's very, it was a big overhaul of my heart. So, but he was on vacation. He was on vacation. So, what so, happened? so he came back finally. He, they said, we have a standby cardiothoracic surgeon who has done a few of them, but we really want Dr. Nicholas Madeira. So we are going to up your topril from 200 milligrams to 400 milligrams. Remember you're in the hospital, so you're going to be watched. And so I was in ICU the whole time and he finally. How long was um, that? Several days several days. On the 17th, he came back in town and seen me. And then he said, I will do you first thing in the morning. You're, you're my first case. So on February the 18th, I had my, um, my surgery. It was, it was Ash Wednesday. So I went from Friday the 13th and, you know, to Ash Wednesday. And, and speaking of Friday the 13th, and I'll just add this little thing here. Both of my mater- both my grandfathers, both my maternal grandfather and paternal grandfather passed on Friday the 13th, different years. So Friday the 13th wasn't something that I was looking forward to in the first place, but here I was Friday the 13th. Now I'm fast forwarding to February 17th and they had me stable. They said, you're strong mm-hmm. enough, Paul, you'll make it through the surgery. Friday, the uh, on, on Wednesday, rather the 18th, they did a big, huge surgery and about five hours later, what it was completed. I was breathing above the ventilator within two hours. So they removed my ventilator. Again, my lungs were great. My heart was the, was the culprit. After mm-hmm. the ventilator was removed, then they soon removed my chest tubes. And uh, I stayed there a total of 12 days because remember, I had to wait several days for the cardiothoracic surgeon to do that surgery. Mm-hmm. Again, he thousands of them under his belt. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad I waited. I'm glad they had me wait that long, despite the danger of cardiac arrest, um, because I got the best of the best. However, the next big part was, you know, he said, you're going to feel like you're 18. This is my cardiologist at Cleveland, Dr. Patrick Collier. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome man. Awesome cardiologist. I mean, fantastic. Well, I never felt 18. I didn't feel 20. I still felt, I felt like I was 70. And I never, I couldn't run anymore. I had to give up baseball. I couldn't work. It was more physical. So I went on disability. I had already worked 37. So, I'm sorry. Well, I just wanted to ask, like, did you, before we get to that next piece, like, did you do cardiac rehab? Sure, or did it all. Change anything about did your life? Uh, okay, and it just didn't, it didn't help. No, no. The, the, the surgery, the surgery okay. saved my life. And, you know, the gradients mm-hmm. returned back to normal. I was like, 
That's three or four on the gradient scale, zero to 10 mm. again is normal. So all that went good. I had no infections in the sternum, nothing like that. I really wasn't short of breath anymore and I did not have syncope. So all looked great from their standpoint. But for, but for yeah. me, and we're our best advocate, we know our bodies better than any doctors, better than anybody. Mm-hmm. I felt just out of sorts. I just, I didn't have enough stamina. I, if I went to cut the grass, I'd have to stop, you know, a quarter of the way my wife would finish up and the frustration, the depression, anxiety all came full circle where I ended up, you know, not in a nervous breakdown or nothing like that, but really, really down on my luck, down on life, down Mm -hmm. to the point where, you know, is life, why did I make it through, you know, if this is the way I'm going to be and and that, well, give it time, give it time. Well, we fast forward now to, I did this now. I, I went through rehab and I couldn't go back to work because of the severity of it. And so I got a pension from, because I worked 37 years as the old traditional pension. They don't even have them anymore. I was fortunate enough to have over 30 years, 37. So I got my pension and my social security, but boots, I would trade anything to go back to the way I used to be. I'd work 60, I'd work 70 hours. Forget about, you know, mm-hmm. people, why oh, you're retired. It's not, it's not that. You know, I, I'm, I'm a person that can't sit still. And I'm, and I'm, and while I was active in, you know, if it's fishing, if it was going on a, on trips, if it was, I had to, I, I just couldn't sit. I just couldn't sit. And I realized I have to at least exercise. So I would, I would do my walks, but it wasn't nothing to the level that I used to, not even close. And so, you know what I'm hearing you say is, you know, cause cardiac depression is Horrible. real. And I am hearing that you, we're lacking hope. Yeah, I went and seen a psychiatrist too. And this wasn't the first time. And the reason why is because I had anxiety as a child that manifested to a, a full-blown mm-hmm. nervous breakdown when I was 30. Um, right before I got married, mm-hmm. I was building a house. I was, you know, planning this and I was an anxious person. And despite, you know, knowing in your mind, you say, people say, well, just, you know, think good thoughts, you know, just relax take it all in. It's not that easy. It's not that easy. And no, it's not. I had a chemical imbalance and it, it, this is way back in 1990, 1991. And they put me on an antidepressant, several of them, and finally found the one that worked in along with a little psychotherapy, never looked back. And now I feel more mentally strong from the age of 30, all the way up until my heart problems, never felt better. So that wasn't the problem. But then like you mentioned, Boots, when you have cardiac issues, often it goes hand in hand, heart, head, head, heart. It just, it's just that way. Mm-hmm. I started having crying episodes and things of that nature. So I went and seen another, this time, same thing, psychiatrist. And she says, you know, that's, while it's not normal, I'm glad you came forward at your age and, and you're, you're, you're admitting to it. And so many people dismiss it, you know, I'll be okay and try to tough it out. And you really shouldn't. Nobody should do that. Nobody. Mm. So, you don't have to. No. Like, can she we was, let, let go of that idea that we have to be tough anymore? <laughs> no, right, right. I, I, I couldn't be tough. And so therefore, I, I ended up on a different antidepressant, an SSRI, a serotonin selective reuptake is what they are. I take a small amount of that mm-hmm. and it's, it's like a minimum dose, but it was enough to get me out of that so-called down, feeling down and 
feeling unhappy and whatnot. Started living life again. But again, I never got my stamina back. Never, ever, never to the point where, you know, I thought, well, you know, I'm going to bring this up. I bring everything up. I'm an advocate for myself. And they basically said, look, your heart looks sound on our end. 2017, 2000, end of 2017, early 18, again, I started going down. This time, the symptoms were, were different. I wasn't having syncope where I felt like I wanted to pass out, but I was having pain in my heart itself, like a grip, like a, like a pressure. Okay. That translated into my shoulder, my left shoulder, so, so bad. Then that went into my head, and sometimes all at once, and I could take a bullet, but on a pain scale, on a lot of days, I'd be a seven or an eight every day. I kept going back to Cleveland mm -hmm. Clinic, and they said, we can't really find anything wrong. We'll do this. We'll do that. So finally, through all the testing, they said, well, let's, um, you know, he says, I don't know. You've had a, you had the whole come and everything looks good on your echo. You had a stress echo. That looks good. We can, we can go to the next level, which is angiography, heart cath. Or, and I says, well, how about before we do that, how about do a CAT scan with contrast? Could you, could you put that in, 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 in the computer now and set it up? If I could actually, I could do it right now and we could, we could do it. So we did it that day. I was in Cleveland clinic. Wow. We did it that day. And, uh, you know, naturally a radiologist has to read it and all. So I left on my way with my wife. We drove from McComb Michigan, where we live, McComb, Michigan. Cleveland. So I, I got about an hour away from home and he's got my cell phone number and he calls Dr. Collier and he says, um, they found a lesion that's 50 to 60% of blocking your LAD it is serious. It is wow. serious. And I am sorry. You're right again, but this has to be addressed. We we're going to have to do a heart catheterization. So we'd like to set that up as soon as possible. And it wasn't going to be that day, but it was within a, within a couple of weeks, I went back there and it was the special one, the F, DFFR and the FFR, fractional flow reserve, mm -hmm. IVIS, the, the whole thing. And they put me in with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to get the heart cath. And he says, I, I don't know how to break this news to you, Paul, but you need another huge operation. When I say, you got to be kidding me. And he says, your LAD is inside your myocardium as what a myocardial bridge was when I first found out. I had never heard of it, but now, of course, through research and whatnot, I'm, I'm well-versed on, on myocardial bridge and hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy. Unfortunately, we had to learn the hard way, but go through that. But he, he said, um, the only thing is surgery, and that's the only thing that can fix it. And we have a Dr. Patterson that does that. It will not be Dr. Smadera because he doesn't specialize in that. Well, Boots, mm -hmm. immediately I got to thinking from 2015, I couldn't help but think, I'm born with this trapped LAD inside my heart muscle. And in no fault of theirs, again, this is 2015, so this is very early on in therapy. If I can recall, even Stanford really wasn't on board until about 2016 before they actually you know, took it serious mm -hmm. and did it. So I'm, I'm not putting them on the hook at all, but it was never noted that I had this myocardia bridge in 2015. My aortic valve was messed up. My mitral valve was messed up. They took the cardiac appendage out. They did the MACE procedure. They did a septal myectomy where they took tissue out from inside the heart going via 
aortic valve. They had to cut it in through that way. I mean, a whole slew of things, but they never mentioned that. I can't help but think that they didn't have these microscopic glasses, right? They don't see that my LAD was trapped in my myocardium coming out, you know, really. So I was frustrated. I asked, I asked, I said, why wasn't that ever noted? And he says, basically, I can't, I can't talk for Dr. Smadero. I can't, I can't, you know, and, and which is, which is fair, fair and square. But I, I was frustrated because, and, and scared because a reoperation means, you know, you know yourself, they're going to go back into this and it's not the little going in between the ribs or where they can do it, you know, the, through your groin. No, no, it was take all my hardware out. And I had the big, long sternotomy thing, huge, eight inches or so. I don't know. Big one. They had to take all that out and it becomes very vascular. That's what they told me. It becomes very dangerous. Anytime you go you know, on a virgin chest, it's one thing. When you've already had all that done and you're going back in there, again, I was in the right spot, Cleveland Clinic. They specialize in reoperations. Oh, that's They specialize good in reoperations. So that's another thing why if I was to do over again, would I have had this operation at Stanford? And the clear answer is absolutely not. In that, I've already had an operation, a huge one. They had to take all that titanium, all that stuff that you so well know. And, and I, uh, you know, mm -hmm. plates, everything had to be removed. And two cardiothoracic surgeons were in there, one to open me and close me and one to do the work. So fast forward to that operation. They wanted me in um, January of 2020 to have this done. They called me after my uh, the heart catheterization and stuff. They said, you know what? January 2020, we just had a round table with all the cardiothoracic thoracic surgeons. I think there were five or six of them. They discussed my specific case and they, and Dr. Smadera, who did my first open heart, spoke out in front of everyone and said, more than likely I would not make January of 2020. I would pass away before that. It's that bad. So could you come next week? Come Monday. And what date was this? Um, this was September... You see, I had my surgery October 2nd. I had to get registered October the 1st of 2019. Mm -hmm. And I, so this is probably okay. like September 27th, 28th of the week before. Can you come next week? I said, sure. And come on Monday. And again, I'm not feeling well at all. I had the worst symptoms, but a different symptoms that, again, it wasn't about passing out or nothing like that. It was just the pressure on my heart. It felt like hardest grip on my heart. Mm -hmm. And that I wasn't going to make it. I could, yep. I could feel death. I could feel death. I, could, I felt mm -hmm. death on the first one. After the operation, I didn't. Well, I could feel death now. I, could, I know it was going to happen unless I get this operation. So sure enough, the um, PA, the physician assistant for Dr. Smadera, personally called me from Cleveland. I said, you know, my insurance is through my wife. And that all has to be worked out in God bless Cleveland Clinic. They told me, do not worry about monetary. Do not worry about if you're on if if your insurance is going to pay or they're going to fight it or you could have gone to another hospital. We'll take care of that. Even if we don't get compensated, we need to do the surgery. So I said, thank you so much. God bless you. That's incredible. Like Never, what, hospital what hospital does do that, that now? Unbelievable. Yeah. The, the, that is something that that's why I talk so highly of Cleveland Clinic. They're they're they've been fantastic. Mm -hmm. I love all their doctors and their expertise. And as a result, that's why I'm here. I did the operation October 
the second 2019. When they went in there, it was deeper than they thought, the LAD. Often it is. Sometimes they think it's often, almost, all, almost the all the time. It's, it's <laughs> unfortunate, but it, mm-hmm. it's almost all the time. Mm-hmm. I am fortunate, though, that they took me serious and that they did the proper thing and they did not stent me. Because for you myocardial bridge people out there that are listening, do not, do not stent the bridge. No matter what a doctor mm-hmm. may tell you or interventional cardiologist, do not do that. That's the wrong approach. It will become very fragile and and it deadly so once that's done that's a a horrific thing you You can't can't go go back back. there's no going back so thankfully they were aware of all this and they took me serious the depth of it they were vague they just said was very deep on the or report but it was 3.5 centimeters long so they unroofed me and again i had a 50 to 60 percent as it turned out it was 50 percent once they got in there a lesion which still was there can we? Uh, can you educate us on what a lesion is? A lesion is a form of plaque, basically. The, it's it's almost mm-hmm. it, a lesion would almost sound like a tumor, but it's 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 plaque formation. And the plaque formation was proximal to the bridge, and what causes that is the sheer. And I'm sure you know, but for people that are listening, it's basically the sheer pressure. In my case, nearly six decades long of being squashed in my myocardium, AKA heart muscle, every heartbeat, every heartbeat, every, it's kind of like a straw where if it's a brand new straw, you can squeeze that straw and let it go. It will open up. Well, over the course of six decades, it doesn't want to open up too much. So even whether you're in Mm -mm. systole or diastole, it doesn't matter. You're not getting proper blood flow. Hence the headaches, hence the pressure in your heart, hence the feeling of death. You just know, I mean, you just know something is awry in really, really bad. And, you know, Paul, I'm, I'm glad that you're talking about that feeling of death and it's hard to put into words unless you've actually been there. I've had several conversations via this podcast with other people who were like, I knew I was out of time. Like your body just has this way of putting, putting you on notice and, once that once you've had the operation to correct whatever is going on in your heart and that feeling of death leaves, it's like it's a whole mm-hmm. new world. And I call my life now bonus life because, I mean, it really feels like it is a whole new Rebirth. brand new life than before. Would you agree? Uh, uh, totally spot on. Boots. That's a great point. I don't know how many times I told my family, my friends, neighbors, everything else, the quote, I'm running out of time. I knew it. I was running out of time. And mm-hmm. even the day before, you know, they give you this uh, stuff to, it's like to clean all your chest and whatnot, scrubbing everything down in the shower b- before. So I was in the hotel. I was in oh, the yes. hotel. Yeah. I stayed in the hotel on October the 1st, October 2nd in the morning. It was to go in there and get all registered and get ready for the afternoon operation. As it turned out, it was evening. But I told my wife that evening, I told my wife during the night, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, my kids, you know, were, we were all in this, we had two beds. So it was me and my son in the one bed, my wife and my daughter in the other bed. And none of them, nobody could get sleep because of me. And 
two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. My daughter, God bless her. She, you okay, dad? You okay? I said, no, honey, I'm not good. I, I feel I'm, I'm not going to make it. Well, we only got a few more hours till you get to Cleveland. And we were, we stayed 20 minutes away from Cleveland area. So we were right there. But uh, nonetheless, I still felt even in the morning, I says, we, let's, let's get there. Let's get there. Now it was more, it's, it's the pain, the anxiety, the knowledge boots, mm-hmm. what I'm going about to go through again, because I've already done it. Well, I, uh, been, again. Been there, done that. Been there, done that. And it felt like, feel like you're getting hit by a truck. Well, you know that everybody that's mm-hmm. gone through open heart. But my thing was I'm welcoming a second open heart because I can't stay like this. This is no life. My quality was not, there was no quality. So getting back to the surgery, when they did the surgery, they had to make a decision of doing a Lima bypass. A Lima bypass, all of us are born with mammary arteries. There are roughly... Mm-hmm. The size of maybe your little finger, or in your case, you're kind of petite. I'm petite too. I don't know. Maybe your ring finger, say. And they're always atherosclerotic free, no matter what. No. So, in other words, you could have so much plaque, you could have so much, you know, cardiovascular disease that these two arteries, for whatever it's worth, are always unaffected. They are perfect. So their idea was, which was, which was you know, his call being, I already had, again, the lesion is the plaque and it was proximal to the bridge. Mm-hmm. We talked about that. The pressure of the, for six, almost six decades, 58 at the time, pushing that blood through the platelets stick. And then the plaque sticks to the walls in nine out of 10 myocardial bridge patients in about 10%, one out of 10, it, it will be distal, which is on the other mm-hmm. side of the bridge, but nine out of 10 cases and Rob, I know you're listening. I know this is correct. Mm-hmm. 90% of the time, it's proximal to the bridge. And that's where my plaque was. No plaque anywhere else. However, this plaque was in 2015, only 20%. So my my frustration was if this was dealt with. But again, I'm letting, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take them off the fish hook because in 2015, it was primitive. They really didn't have, I mean... Right. Did they do this surgery? Yeah, I, I understand through even Rob, they, they have attempted it in the 1970s, even as late as the or, you know, early 80s or early as that. They, they've attempted it and done it. Was it successful? I don't know. But they, they've known about this stuff. But to actually have a procedure that was, I won't, well, as safe as can be, that they felt comfortable with. It wasn't until the end of probably six, 2016. So this is prior... Again, mm-hmm. I'm in 2015. So they left it, they let it alone and they didn't address it. I guess leave a sleeping dog lie. If it's right. not barking and biting you, leave it alone. Well, and that's typically how the medical field rolls. Unfortunately, because it's like, why? Because there's just so much trauma to the body. But unfortunately for you, it was oh. two times. This, uh, well, they anyway, took, so they so, took a lot. They did the they bypass. Did the, they took the left anterior mammary artery, aka Lima. They 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 transplanted that and grafted it alongside my native LAD that I was born with. So now I have two f- ways of two flows of blood, like a highway, two lane highway now instead of just one way going through the fifty percent blockage, which they can't take that out. Mm-hmm. I had a two way highway, which is in all in all regards, great. You know, you say, wow, you got two. Now, you know, it's going to feed the myocardium, your heart muscle. Great. The only thing with that is competitive blood flow. Competitive blood flow will always happen. One wants a fight with the other. Typically, if 
your native LED, the one you're born with, is still oper operable, that will win in almost all the time. So my LA, my oh dear, my limo bypass. I just had a heart catheterization September 29th, and I'll fast forward that in a minute. After they did the surgery, I recovered and I went through all of that to um, you know uh, cardiac rehab and whatnot. Still, you know, I'm, I'm okay, but I, I'm never. I guess I'm I'm damaged goods. I guess. <laughs> They, you know, they, they can only you put lipstick on a pig and it may look pretty, <laughs> oh. but if, but it's still <laughs> lip, but it's still a pig. The lipstick is kind of feeling mm -hmm. that. So I was out of physical danger in terms of heart attack and all that. As far as that goes, I was getting proper blood flow, but damage has been done, you know, and. And that competitive blood flow is happening, it's happening now and as we I, speak. I also think your heart is in just, the Lima, in the, in the Lima oh, now man. is getting smaller. So it's still patent they they call that still opened opened enough but originally when first bypassed it's it's wide open you know beautiful big in their bigger arteries than through your the best arteries in your veins or your legs i mean this is a this is a mammary artery it's not a vein so they, they're big mm -hmm. but now it's getting atrophied because again the competitive blood flow so my lad is taking in blood and nourishing my heart as well as the Lima, but the Lima is getting narrower and narrower. And they noted that on my last heart cath, which now I'm going to go a little bit further on. It's there's so much to, to talk about, but they wanted me to have, uh, you know, uh, because I still had symptoms, not to the degree of what I was before my operation, because I'm leaps and bounds better, but I still have issues of spasms, endothelial dysfunction, mm -hmm microvascular disease and i'm still on diltalism i, I take uh, that stuff you know for for spasms and i still feel i i feel okay to you know go out to eat once in a while jump jump in a car go to the store but i often still have symptoms so they said let's do a heart cath so they did a heart cath and they says i'm going to put you with the guru of angiography again always at cleveland because i can't really go anywhere else and no. I went with him and he was in there just shy of two hours, which is a long time for heart cath and looking for everything. Well, sure as can be. They found a little nugget of gold in, in the ocean, if you will. There was elusive to the naked eye, even in surgery, was the ramus artery, which is a branch off from your LAD. And that feeds the back of your heart. That LAD was bypassed and all, but was overlooked. The ramus, all was good. That was in the back of the heart. That was 90% occluded, 90% occluded. So they said, we found your problem. We will go ahead and proceed with the stent now. This is September 29th, 2022. So five months ago, um, we found your problem. We believe this is the reason why, you know, you're feeling so awful and well, they, they put the stent in. I'm on Plavix now for one year. While it's helped, I still have endothelial dysfunction. No getting out of that. You're, mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's still, I still get spasms. At times I take nitro sublingual, but it doesn't really help much. It's, I call it the poison pill. 
because it all it'll do is kind of give me headaches and in that. So I, yeah. I, I I tend to try to stay away from it unless I I feel like there's no other straw to grab, and then I'll go ahead and take one. But I don't take it often. But the endothelial dysfunction, according to Dr. Gobriel, and I've seen her now because she is you know head uh, of myocardial bridge at at the Cleveland Clinic, and seeing her in person, fantastic expert on all things myocardial bridge. And she basically said how much it will heal. Naturally, it won't heal if it was not unroofed. So Rob's, right. what, what Rob professes is 100%. People say, well, I'll take medicine and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it might buy you six months, a year. You may feel a little, but it will, get, it will definitely get worse and you will eventually go downhill unless you get unroofed. And once you get unroofed, you have to get all unroofed because if any branches are still left in there, you're still back in the same boat. So I had a fantastic surgeon, both of them, Dr. Pedersen that did it. And, he, and they, they assured me, even in, when I had my last uh, angiography, my heart gath, that all looked w- well. I mean, there was nothing caught in my myocardium. That was good. Everything on top of the heart muscle where it belongs and all that. But, you know, it is what it is. It, it took a beating. That's, that's, that's what it did. It took a beating. Mm-hmm. And the endothelium cells that line the artery can heal but she, like Dr. Gobriel said, to what extent? We still don't know. There's insufficient data. And it's just, you know, it's, it, it could heal 25%, 50%, 75%. We, we really don't know. Or, or, or you may not get any better than you are now. Um, we just don't know. It does usually take time in one year, two years, three years isn't even sometimes sufficient. So for for right. people that are had the surgery boots that are saying, you know, Paul, I can kind of relate this. I still don't feel on, on top of my game. I guess there's some hope that, you know, time is on our side now that we're unroofed. And I'll be, well, it, it turned three, it was three years, October 2nd, when I had the operation for my second open heart. So I'm going on four. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't want to, I'm not going to sugarcoat one thing or say, I'll, I'll tell it right from from right from the heart, I still don't feel like Paul Fossey. However, I don't feel like I'm going to die. I don't feel like I need to be in the hospital. I can still do my things. I'm just not my. I'm just not myself like I used to be, and maybe never will be. Yeah, unfortunately. And that's a a delicate emotional mental game, isn't it? Because on the one hand, thank goodness Horrible. we're alive. Yes. And on the other hand, okay, but I am not myself. And I've been thinking a lot about how, in your case, twice, like I was saying earlier in our conversation, our soul is touched when we have heart surgery. It's not, it's not just a, you know, a joint replacement or a ligament, you know, damage surgery where they go back in and repair it. This is like, the essence of you is literally handled and it's it just changes you and and in a lot of ways for me the better but at the same time i don't know if you've seen have you seen the movie the princess bride i don't believe so um no it's a great okay. movie and for those who have seen it this is the scene i use often and i'll do my best to explain it to you paul so you can sure. understand so it it's such a great like family movie and such a feel good movie to watch. But as I'm saying, 
just trust me with what I just said to the, the scene I'm going to okay. describe the the kind of the the knight in shining armor, handsome guy that ends up saving the princess is tortured. And the torture scene is even kind of like precious. He's like laid on a table and the king orders to have years of his life taken wow. away. And and it's like all it's just this incredible stage of, of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like all these different machines working together to take years of this guy's life away. You see and why you relate. Ultimately, yeah. And ultimately he goes and sees this wizard uh, that's played by Billy Crystal. And it's hilarious. He gets his years given back to it. him. But yeah, but I, I feel like, yay, I'm alive. Yet, I really feel like years of my life were taken away because how like our our myocardium was cut into, our heart was cut into, and in your case, twice, right? And it's it's hard to walk around with like this dualistic thinking of I'm so grateful, but at the same time, and how much time do I have left? I just don't want to suffer. I'm okay with, you know. Obviously, you know, I, I've been told this too, you know, well, we're all going to die. I get it, but we're, we're high risk. I mean, and, and I'm, and I'm still young. I'll be honest if I, well, I shouldn't preface with that because every time you say, I got to be honest, like you're almost dishonest. I'm not, but it, I, I want to <laughs> preface it with, if it wasn't in, if's a big word, you know, if the dog wouldn't have stopped, uh, he would take a, you know, go to the bathroom, he would have caught the rabbit, right? If, if's a big word, but if it wasn't for my heart, I feel like I was 30 years old. No problems with my knees or feet or back or hips or shoulder joints or nothing. And I still think like a young person. I still act like a young person, which throws everybody off the game that Paul must be fine. Even to this day, it's not like I have to constantly prove because they know my history. But all must be well now because he, he speaks fine. Gosh, he's so agile, you know, and he's thin and slim and he could still do that. It's not about we're our best advocate. Again, as I mentioned earlier in the conversation, this podcast, we are our best advocate. We know what we feel like. And now I finally, but it took all these horrific things to happen to me. Not one doctor ever looks at me and says, oh, it's anxiety. Oh, don't worry about it. It's just something that, you know, it's no big deal. Now it's, oh my God, you know, what do you think? We want to do this test. You want So they're, they're on board, but you know, it's like, uh, God, I, it was so much to, to take in and to, to tell them how I felt until I was taken serious. And that's another thing I want to touch base on. This myocardial bridge is one that just, the, the doctors just don't get it. The cardiologists, the overwhelming majority do not understand. And maybe in med school, they know about it, but they don't study it enough because the vast majority of them can be benign, but there's a subgroup. There's a subgroup that they're malignant. Yours, mine, Rob's, Perry's, and, 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 and uh, you know, I, I just can't understand why in, tw- in 2023, now that we have, you know, so many, almost 2,000 members here that these cardiologists don't realize, hey, this is a real thing. This, this can't be taken lightly. And again, while we may be in the minority, without someone actually coming forward and, and accepting what we're, we're saying and, and, and have an operation, we would be dead. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's so frustrating. I, I just wish more and more would be believers. But my former cardiologist, who I, of course, fired after my second open heart, 
the myocardial bridge operation. I had to see one here at my hometown a week after Cleveland Clinic. They said, you can come all the way to Cleveland or you can see your own one here. So I went to the hospital. And again, I'm not going to mention his name or nor will I mention the hospital. But the very first thing he did, and my wife was in there with me waiting for him to come into the, knocked on the door. And he's the first thing he said was, Paul, one open heart wasn't enough for you, huh? I said, what are you talking about? And he says, well, these are, myocardial bridges are benign. I don't know what, what went on with you. I says, you know, you are so, so wrong. I am so disappointed and that you feel that way. And I, I basically should have called him, you know, that you're so egotistical that you won't look into the medical books and, and see us real cases. But, you know, he already had 25 years under his belt as a cardiologist. So, you know, he, he always dismissed it. There was no telling him. Yeah, and I'm telling him this. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, I, I obviously they didn't open. I did tell him this. Obviously, they didn't open me up just for the sake of, you know what? I think this is a good time. Let's let's give him a second open heart surgery and let's 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 go for it. My LAD was trapped so much, being compressed so much. I had this 50% plaque lesion, if you will, and all of that due to the myocardial bridge severity. So without the operation, I'm sorry you feel like that. And I said, with that said, I feel we, we can't go on any further. I then got up and I left, you know. Good and, for you. Did he follow up or try to stop He didn't you know. He, he, he basically was uh, kind of sh shocked in that, you know, I, I just because I, I knew that we couldn't go any further. He was in total disbelief. I wasn't going to try to try to prove it to him. I mean, duh, I had an operation is, you know, obviously he's smart, but what, what made him so dismissed, dismissal, this dismissal, like, no, it can't be that they're always benign. No, they're not. No, they're not. No, they're not. In the vast majority of them. I'm so sorry that happened. So I, I've been going through, I've been going through a lot of crap in my life and my quality has gone way down. I'm happy to be alive. I'm not happy with feeling the way I still feel, but again, it is better than I was before the operations, plural, before operation one. And, and certainly if I didn't have the myocardial bridge um, surgery on roofing, I hate to even, I hate to admit this, but I, I have to be this frank. If I couldn't get help, I was going to have to find a way of taking myself out. I thought of it. I, mm -hmm. I had passive death wishes. I thought of ways of, here's, I, you, I couldn't go on like this. The, the, the discomfort, the suffering, the physical suffering, forget about the emotional, the physical suffering was beyond what anybody could, could imagine. And it kept getting worse and worse and worse. So I'm thankful that I got the operations. I'm thankful for Cleveland Clinic. I'm thankful that they, I had great, great physicians and I do not hold them responsible for them not doing anything in 15 again, because it was primitive in 2015, but I, right. I still am, I'm scarred, if you will. I'm still, I'm, I'm not, I'm not myself. I'm not exactly in myself. every way, in every way, emotionally and physically. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Boots. It's, uh, it's been a, it's been a whirlwind. Thank you for sharing. And I hope while I can't change any of that for you, I hope just knowing that I'm listening, podcast like other listeners of this podcast are listening, I hope that it brings you a, even just a 1% sense of relief that I see you, other people see you. You know, 
we don't have to do this alone. And even though you have two surgeries behind you and hopefully that's the end of it and that you can continue to heal, like you still don't have to be alone, even though it's a problem. Thank you. Still, you still don't have to do it alone. You don't have to be alone in this. Thank you so much, Boots. Uh, you know, you just saying that it touched my heart. I really, I, I, that, that's, that's, that's very comforting. And with that said, you taking the next step and I wish you all the best. I know you've gone through a whirlwind of problems too. And, you know, in, infections and putting a, a titanium plates in you and, and just horrific, horrific things. It's not just me. It, we're all, we're, like you said, we're all in this together. But I, I, I want to first mm-hmm. thank you for getting this podcast, asking me on this podcast. And I also want to thank Rob for the wonderful myocardial bridge site that, you know, he is, he's, he's a wonderful man. And you're a fantastic person yourself, Boots. And God, may God be with all of us, not just us heart, heart patients, but maybe God, maybe God be with all of us and give us the peace and the comfort. And that's, 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 that's my main, um, that's my main idea in my mind. If I can have peace and comfort, then I feel I ha- I've, I've won this game of life, regardless what happens. Yeah. It's like, you know, you're out in the middle of the storm in a dinghy and still finding the peace while in the dinghy and 40 foot waves, right? It, and you don't have a choice. It's like, well, I'm out in the middle of the storm in a dinghy, so I can either I can choose my attitude about it. Yes. Um, and I just want to validate that too. And sometimes we need to just sit in our yucky feelings because we need to mo- let allow those to move through. So I I think I'm hearing a lot of grief, and that is normal and natural, and it's. It's hard when like we find out later in life that we have something going on with our heart and all along thinking we were fit as a fiddle, like both of us were. And then, oh, no surprise, you have this potpourri of heart issues. And it's it takes a long time. I'm talking years. Absolutely. I can't agree with you more. Processing that. Yeah. So it it, it messes with you and we'll make this uh, we'll we'll. Get this. I know I'm. We're way past an hour or something, but it's it, it affects the psyche as well. Yes, it does. And I, but I, I try my darndest to do and be Paul. I try for it not to define me. I try, but it's a work in progress, and it's a constant work in mm-hmm. progress because my symptoms, although they're not as devastating, they are enough to throw me off my game if I let it. And and sometimes. Mm-hmm. In, in a dark, if I'm in a dark area, can win and I don't want it to win. So I got to muscle it. I have to muscle. So I, as I close this out here, I want to remind listeners to go back and listen to my interview with my physical therapist, Cassie Fuller. We actually talk about this in depth, the mental aspects mm-hmm. of heart surgery. And I really go there with how I worked with my mental health therapist before my heart surgery and after and it's it's a very helpful episode for anyone listening i i kind of blow the sound quality on my end unfortunately so bear with me on that please it, it is such a worthwhile episode to listen to even if you're the caregiver or if you have something else going on in life that's not 
heart surgery, any surgery or health issue is so hard mentally. And the episode is for anyone. So, Paul, thank you. No, I was just going to say it sounds like a, a, a something that I'd be very interested in listening to. Absolutely. Very entertaining and yeah, informative. It's, it's really profound. Very informative. Mm-hmm. Thank you for everything. Thank you so much for I, coming on the I show today. I appreciate you having me. It was a pleasure to be on your show. And that's the show for today. Thank you for spending part of your day with me. The Heart Chamber exists because of you. If you find value in this podcast, consider donating to this cause. Go to theheartchamberpodcast.com and go to the donate link. And hey, while you're there, feel free to leave me a voicemail. I want to hear from you. Lastly, don't forget to leave a review and make sure you subscribe so you never miss another Tuesday edition of The Heart Chamber. Thanks again. Have a great week. And I'll be back next week with more stories of open heart surgery and recovery.